This is Software Defined Survival, where we explore how software-defined systems are changing the business of AVIT. Today on Software Defined Survival. You can't just kind of put together a software program on the back of a napkin. It, it just doesn't work. Concentrating on the value is where you find out what you excel at. I pressed that button many, many times and watched the light go on and off. I will admit that guilty pleasure. It's we all still get satisfaction out of that. People think, you know, if anybody came in, they'd lock me up right away. But That's, you know, an IoT could be the driver that convinces display manufacturers to do, adopt one protocol, right? Because we all know there's nothing special about your power on command. And I think there's, there's kind of a danger in just accepting what comes out at Infocom as the solution of the year. Hi, I'm Steve Greenblatt, your special host for today. Our guest today started his career as a freelance service technician, moving up to serve in the industry in various roles as a systems engineer, a control system programmer, and finally pursuing his entrepreneurial spirit by starting an independent programming company. For He's been in business for over 13 years and he's grown to become an educator, a software developer, an inventor, an online marketer, and a podcaster. His extensive experience in major control system platforms as well as other mainstream programming languages has proved to be very valuable in being able to make his mark on the industry. He's worked both in the U.S. and in Europe, and he's fluent in both English and German. Well, he probably needs no further introduction. He's the host of Software Defined Survival, Patrick Murray. How are you, Patrick? I'm excellent, Steve. Thank you for that flattering introduction. So, was that accurate? Is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, no, that is accurate for sure. Uh, yeah. Very flattering. Like I said, um, it's always interesting when you get the when somebody else reads back your resume to you. And um, uh, I'm I'm just a programmer. I I can know the feeling. So, um, give me a little bit of background. You know, what got you into this industry? What keeps you in this industry? And and what do you like the most about it? So yeah, this question is always like, where do you start? Um, I. I dropped out of college because I couldn't keep still, right? I had all this nervous energy and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I wound up working as a messenger in Manhattan, delivering boxes here and there and, and uh, worked my way up there to uh, being an operations manager for an overnight distribution company for office products. And then a buddy of mine told me he was going to the Institute of Audio Research to learn how to record music. And I said, wow, that sounds like something I could sink my teeth into because, you know, I was a bit of a musician, guitar and piano and stuff. And uh, I was always curious about how sound actually worked. So this idea that you could go to school for that, um, sign me up. And at IAR, Institute of Audio Research, I learned a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, what I'm able to do. Like I learned how to solder. I learned how to build electronic circuits. Of course, I learned about uh, the physics of sounds and things like that. And, you know, I hated science in, in high school and stuff like that. But because the subject matter was really relevant, right, how a guitar amplifier works, it really sparked my curiosity and, and love of learning. And um, 
Yeah, and I realized that I did not want to work in the New York City recording industry. I wasn't really cool enough for that. But building these racks, pulling cables, plugging things together, uh, the flow of systems and how all that works, that's kind of how I got into AV. I got an apprenticeship fixing pro audio gear. And then I did a few projects with uh, a guy named Dennis Flood from iDesigns. And uh, he taught me a whole bunch of uh, stuff about how AV works and how to build these kind of projects and wire them up. And then I went to the Systems Group. It's a broadcast company in Hoboken, New Jersey. And what I really learned there was how, um, how to manage large projects, right? In, in broadcast and installation, is like 10 racks is small. There's just, they're so big that you need to have a process to make that happen. And it would start with, you know, cutting cables. I need 10 cables that are 100 feet long and they got to be white. And, uh, and then people would terminate those cables and then they would get taken to the back room where they would be installed halfway into a rack and you would dress them up. And there was just a process for every step of the way. And then when you got to the site, you know, things would plug, be plugged in and kind of work. And uh, I guess a year or so after, after that, I worked for Harry Joseph and Associates, and they had, that was the first real AV project or AV company that I worked for, Boardroom AV. And they kind of had that same idea. Uh, everything was engineered. We built up the rack in their office, and we tested everything. Everything was programmed. It was really process-oriented, system-oriented. So when you got to the job site, you plugged it in, and it just kind of worked. And um, so back to your question, I guess what I like about AV is, is uh, kind of the signal flow. I really enjoy that, how things work together, how to piece together different types of equipment um, to make a system and how it works. And yeah, and uh, Harry Joseph sent me to AMX training. That's how I got into programming. And software is just like all of that times 10 because you know you could really do anything with software there's so many different building blocks that you could piece together in so many different ways and uh i guess that's what kind of keeps me in av well i i can relate to that i so you mentioned a number of times process um process i think is an important thing and it certainly is for somebody who's organized and, and technically minded process is really the key to success do you see process as being an important part of software in AV? Because I, I don't necessarily know that we use enough process. And yeah. <laughs> of course we don't, right? Um, there are people who do great jobs at it. There are integrators out there who do everything the way it should be done. But it was kind of a rude awakening for me when I became an independent programmer and opened my own company and started to see you know, how different integrators handle projects. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise how unprocessed it is, how, how little systems play a role in, in how projects are actually executed on. And there's a lot of room for improvement in the industry as a whole from my experience. Like I said, there are always companies who do it right. The, the places where I learned from, uh, they taught me that way. So that's, I, I was kind of, I guess a little spoiled because I thought that's how everybody operated. And uh, once I became a freelancer, I found out that that was totally different. So how that relates to software, if, if software is to play more of a role in where this industry is going, we will not stand the chance unless we spend more time up front defining things because you can't just kind of 
put together a software program on the back of a napkin. It, it just doesn't work. So in going down that road a little bit further, the, the, um, we've been able to get away with it quite a bit, right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and so what, what do you think that people are going to need to know as technology evolves or as the industry evolves? Where, what, what, what are some of the, the areas? You know, it's one thing to learn a programming language, but it's another thing right. to learn a development skill. Sure. Can you elaborate a little bit about what, what that might look like for people that don't necessarily have that either knowledge or expertise? Well, it depends on what your role in the industry is. So if you're an integrator, what's your role in that company? Are you the engineer, programmer, or are you the business owner? So you're going to have a different lens depending where you are. If you're a technology manager at an end user enterprise or university, for example, you'll have different people you need to answer to there as well. So many times it becomes more of a, a skill of selling an idea than actually than, than the technology itself of course the technology has to work you have to be good at what you do you need to be skilled and trained and you, you got to have some experience under your belt but if you want to do things a different way um, there needs to be a reason for it and if a company has been operating a certain way for a long time and like you said been getting away with it it's hard to make that shift. And to be honest with you, some of my customers, they get it and they appreciate it. And they're will I'll give you a brief example. I always encourage integrators to build the system in their factory first, right? Build it offsite Absolutely. as much as you can and we will look great at the end. But that costs more money, right? It takes more space. You need to order the equipment earlier. That money needs to be there. You need to have the space for it. And there may also be this attitude, what are these techs doing here in our office when they could be off at job sites doing things? So that's a mindset that, um, that it needs to be changed somewhat if, if, you're, if you're not used to doing things that way. So I think um, a bit of sales and, and not really in the you know, used carsman sense, but just thinking about what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I need to take a new approach. What is the benefit? And think about who you're explaining it to. What's the benefit to them? And I have a hard time explaining that to some sure. of my customers. They just, they're just not open to the idea. They're, they're not the right customer for this idea, right? It doesn't mean we can't work together, but I just need to know that they're not open to working in that way. But the other people who are accepting of it and they give it a chance and then they see the results, then it's like, well, why didn't we do it that way all the time? I, I totally get that and I, I totally appreciate it. I, I think the, there's a lot of value that we provide as kind of that third party auditor. You know, we're also the uh, a, a independent programming company and, and you know, being able to bring an outside group in to say, Hey, let's um, clean clean up this process a little bit, or or let's approach things in a certain way, or or we need to know this information in order to be successful. Yeah. I think is challenging the the, the typical in house process sure. a little bit. Let's shift gears a little bit, and you know, over the course of your career, what are some of the more significant changes that you've seen in the industry? The iPhone. <laughs> that really was it. I mean. 
what, what's a touch panel, right? In the late 90s, early 2000s, nobody knew what we did. Nobody knew what it, I think the only exposure a touch panel had to the general public was when Ozzy Osbourne was on Cribs, right? right? There was a touch panel on there. I don't know the manufacturer, even if I did, I won't say the name, but um, uh, I think Ozzy picked up the touch panel and I'm not sure if he actually threw it, but he was complaining that it didn't work. Sure. Right? <laughs> saying, look at this thing, it doesn't work. So great for us. So, but as soon as the iPhone came out, right, everybody suddenly knew what a touch panel was and they knew what an app was. They were used to touching a screen and having something happen. Maybe not in the room itself, but something happened on, on the phone or in the game or whatever it was. So I really think the iPhone, you know, whatever it is you think of Apple, but the way they brought that to market and the, the way the general public became aware of technology or just the influence it had, you know, it's, it's like the personal computer. I think it's on the same scale. Everybody has a mobile phone or, you know, many people do nowadays. It's had a huge impact in the way the general public views technology. And because of that, the expectations on us, on the things we do, has also risen. And once the iPhone came out, the expectations of technology completely changed. You know, it should be simple. It should work. It should be easy. But maybe it should be, or it doesn't only belong in the corporate boardroom anymore. It should be more accessible to more people. Maybe not necessarily a commodity, but definitely within the reach of more people than, than just that, that high-level executive boardroom. I definitely think that's the case right now. And I think that because of that, and I'm sure you'll elaborate on this a little bit, our industry is feeling the pressure because oh, yeah. everything that is now more attainable, it means that it doesn't mean take as much effort or it shouldn't cost as much or, sure. or, or why, why, what, what's so complex and custom or why does it have to be custom? Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, how, how do people in, in our position maintain their relevance? Because it, it, it is what we do going to continue to be in demand? And, or or is, is there a different way that we should be thinking? Yeah, the shorter answer is, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's why I started this podcast, to have these kind of conversations and just see what the different takes are. Because the bottom line is nobody knows the answer. Nobody can tell the future. And even if it looks like things will work out a certain way, something could come out of left field and completely change the way uh, projects are done or the way video compression is done or whatever. This, anything could happen. So nobody really knows. So what we could do to maintain our relevance is really the question, right? Because as like you were talking about, our systems used to be really complicated. And th this question comes up kind of a lot in my mind is, are there less complex projects because there will always be projects that need custom programming that need that operator 12 inch operator touch panel with lots of functionality in it and then another version for a simpler user that has less buttons on it so that you know cr creating an environment a command and control center is a perfect example of that you know if you've got a big video wall and and maybe a hundred or more sources and lots of destinations and different scenarios that you need to call up that's complex. And then you'll have a different groups of users, right? So you'll have the user who can deal with complexity. You'll have another user that just wants two or three buttons to make what happens. Those kind of projects are really, you know, where companies like ours shine, right? As independent programmers, that's where we really bring a lot of value to the table. And, you know, that's always been the case. I think those projects aren't becoming less. 
right? I think it's, but as a percentage of AV overall, it's definitely declining. So the amount of those projects may still exist and you could concentrate on that niche, right? So that's one approach is your business could say, we are the command and control center experts um, or whatever it is, whatever that complex niche is, and then just continue doing what we're doing. Or another approach is uh, I had Ryan Howard on the show and he had this interesting idea that as things become commoditized, um, then you have a platform. So you one system may not be interesting because it's just a display on the wall, but managing a hundred of those displays on a wall, well then that could become complex, right? That could be a reason to hire uh, a software developer to create whatever it is, systems for digital signage or analytics or whatever it is that's special and custom that that enterprise needs on that platform level. So I think that's, you know, you know we may not have to change, right? It's a choice. How, how do you want to run your business? Where do you see opportunities? How do you want to spend your time? I think you'll, we all need to be a little more focused on what we do instead of saying we do AV. We do some residential, we do some commercial, and we could do anything. And, you know, I've, I've done that for a very long time, and, and it worked out well. But I think with this commoditization, we may need to specialize even more on certain things. Even though we are the generalists, and we'll always interact with all of these different systems. I mean, that's what we do. But to find our niches in, um, in certain verticals, maybe, or certain applications... I think that's something that we could do to, to remain relevant. So it's more of a, a business model idea than, than the actual technology. Which, which makes sense because they say that you want to define your niche in a business in any, any industry. Sure. And, you know, I've heard this term used quite a bit is you, you, instead of being one mile wide and one inch deep, you want to be one inch wide and one mile deep. So you, right. you really own your market and you, you own your, your area of focus. And that's something AV never really was, right? We were just AV. If there was picture and sounds, we could do it. Is, has that been your experience too? Well, um, yeah, there there are people that it, that specialize in certain areas, but I think the that they're they're not they're, there isn't enough of pushing the envelope. You know, we we, mm. we both know we can do a lot more with what what we provide, and instead of just providing satisfying the 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 requirements, yeah. we should be looking to be able to do something that's providing more value or satisfying more of a need for a client. Yeah, and and I think when you focus more then automatically you're focusing on, well, what is the value that I'm providing? And, and that's where you find your niche. And it doesn't have to be like, I only do hotels or I only do yachts. It could be a type of a system, like, uh, I don't know, integrating this with that. Concentrating on the value is where you find out what you excel at. So with that in mind, and I think that uh, it might be a good time to bring up you, 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 you are a little bit think a little bit differently than than others in the industry. I've come to <laughs> to understand, and you know, you and I know each other for a while, and 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 I value that relationship, and and I really admire the things that you've been doing. You know, one is this podcast, another is is offering training to the industry, dabbling in, in online marketing, and so forth. It's it's risky and and it's tough to think differently. Um, 
what's been your experience and and uh, kind of kind of like you know paint this picture for everybody just to kind of give them a little bit of a of, of a insight into the inner workings of Patrick. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, the motivation for it all was really it was first you know, living in Germany, it's it's different. Like I come from this New York, New Jersey area. There was always work to be had for anyone in AV. And I kind of live in a rural area of Germany, but Germany in general has its own quirks about how projects are done. And uh, it, it wasn't always easy. So there was a lot of feast or famine. We, we did well and I would um, be involved with very large projects where you, you just put your head down for longer than a year at times. Right. And then coming out of that, it's kind of like, OK, what do I do now? And eventually the phone always rang and, and we always found our way. But after, I guess, a decade or so of doing that, you start to wonder, you know, is there a better way? Is there a way to just avoid this famine and get something consistent happening? Maybe not 100 percent there, but just some kind of consistent income to uh, to get through those times and, and take the stress out of being a, a small business. That's kind of where my head was at a little bit. And at the same time, I'm looking at software, right? The iPhone is out. It's everywhere, right? It's, there's this huge change in the industry happening. But there's this whole idea of, well, I can't do that stuff, right? All I heard about is how difficult Objective-C is, right? That's the program that apps were written in. And all these things you don't know about. And Crestron came out with Simple Sharp around the same time. And it was, well... If they're introducing this to the AV market, then maybe this is something we could learn. So I put my head down and uh, I forced myself to learn C Sharp. And it, it only took about two weeks of focused concentration, not to become an expert programmer, but just to make something happen, right? You, you want to push a button and and uh, make a switch or turn a light on and off, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I pressed that button many, many times and watched the light go on and off. I will admit that guilty pleasure. It's just, we all still get satisfaction out of that. People think, you know, if anybody came in, they'd lock me up right away. But <laughs> So once I realized that I could do this, uh, Apple was talking about how easy Swift was to program at the same time. It was their answer to everybody saying Objective-C was difficult. So I gave that a shot and lo and behold, I could write an app. And wow, I could open a TCP connection right from an iPad. What could I do with that? And that's where the technical part of me that, you know, how do I piece these systems together and do things was like, wow, I don't need a control processor all the time. And yeah, I did a project, uh, came across my desk where I was directly working directly for an end user and it was a divisible room, simple enough. And we did it just with iPads and little global cache converters and it worked. It still works today, just fine. So all this kind of came together to say to me like okay maybe there's some opportunity here so i'm looking for some way to create some consistent income and i'm seeing technology change before my eyes i'm executing on it and getting it to work so technically the whole idea is sound so um yeah i started creating some apps and tried to bring them out to the market and show them on some trade shows and everybody said wow that's cool and not many people bought it so it was kind of this rude awakening of, wow, there's a lot of things that I don't know. Uh, technologically, I, I know quite a bit and I know this thing works and I know it's valid and I know you could make a business out of it, right? I've had people pay me customers or customers pay me money in my company money for delivering solutions like this. What's going on? And 
yeah, that's when I kind of realized there's a lot of things that I don't know about business or bringing a new idea to market. And I just had more questions than answers. And I was having some great conversations with people. I just started calling pretty much everyone I knew and asking questions. And uh, one day, I forget what it was. I think it was Colin Burney mentioned that you could contract to manufacture the equipment for an entire AV project. The speakers, the display, just contract manufacture everything. And that idea was so, you know, different to me and interesting. I said, wow, I wish I could share these conversations with people. And well, if you record a conversation and put it on the internet, it's called a podcast. And here we are today. So that's, that's kind of how the podcast was born. And uh, the courses really just came from looking in the forums, learning, uh, learning Simple Sharp myself and having such a hard time with it. And there was such a lack of information about how to do simple things. I made a YouTube video that showed you how to make an interlock with Simple Sharp Pro, and it, like hundreds of people, uh, I think about 200 people, signed up for the source code for that. So I had the video and a little link. If you want the source code, give me your email because I wanted to know if anybody was interested in uh, in doing that. And that was a nice little test. If you give me your email address, then I know that you know you're at least somewhat interested in it. And that's kind of what set me on the path of making the online courses. Very interesting. I. So obviously there's a lot that you've learned. <laughs> well, what are some some things that you can share with the audience? Because I know that part of what I value out of listening to the podcast is how you are always looking to learn from your guests. What are some things that you think that you can share that would be valuable to me or other people listening? <laughs> start slowly, start early. Um have as many conversations with you can as you can with the people you want to work with. So really know what you want out of life, out of your career, out of your business. I think that's important, setting goals and knowing what your expectations are for yourself. And from there, you could kind of decide, you know, what kind of projects you want to be working on and then figure out how to do it and figure out if there's a need for it before you go down that rabbit hole of creating something that, uh, that doesn't have that much value, that doesn't create that much value for other people. If you're just learning something, then go ahead and have fun, right? If you do, so that's again, knowing what the goal is. If you just wanna learn a new programming language, then you know, shut the door, <laughs> put the headphones on, and, and go into your own world, little world by all means. But if, you're, you, know, if you, you are looking to create a product or a business or something, that, that idea of product value uh, validation is extremely important and I really if I learned anything it's it's that is the most important lesson is find out if anybody else is or find out how you could provide value to other people and really know it because if somebody says something if somebody says that's cool it's not enough you know you got to get them to part with something of value and it, I think it starts with an email address or some of their time you know can we talk about this can I give you a product demonstration and of course if somebody's willing to pay for something that's the ultimate validation there so I think in this whole thing that I've been through over the past few years that's really the most important lesson that I've learned is um, you know find out what the value is that you you could provide and to who so I've heard the term you know have your potential customer vote with their credit card yeah. so that, that may apply there and I and I could appreciate that it, it's something that I that I've 
learned and gained and, and something that over my career, I could look back and say, I wish that I did some things differently, similarly to what you described. But I think it, it takes a lot of courage and it take, takes a lot of uh, drive and, and determination to keep at it. And, and that's why you've gotten to where you've gotten. Um, what do you think's next for you? For me? Um, well, I really enjoy making the courses at LearnAVProgramming.com because I get to learn something new. I get to explain it. But the feedback from people is really, it's just, it's great to know that you helped somebody learn something. And, you know, there are people in that situation where I was saying, I'm just an AV programmer. What do I need modern programming languages for? What will that do for me? I, you know, why should I bother? And then having people take a course and say, all right, now I understand how this works and I know that I could do it. Um, there have been people who said they've gotten a new, new job because now they could write Simple Sharp Pro on their resume. Um, people have created new products because they've been inspired to look at modern programming in a different way, to look at how they design systems in a completely different way. And, you know, when I say all this, I'm feeling a little weird because it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but it's really, it's more of a, it's, it's really satisfying and it's fulfilling to know that you were able to help somebody uh, make a change in their career. So I want to continue doing some courses. I'm also working with uh, two other developers on an application called Catch Connect. And yeah, it's, it's a little software application that runs on Windows or on a Raspberry Pi. And you put that on the local network and you could define little connections to TCP connections or WebSockets to the devices on the local network. And then that, that piece of software also opens a connection to a cloud application. So you could log into that dashboard and you could see if your devices are online or offline and you could send them commands. So you could control a projector on and off and do some first line troubleshooting right there. And that kind of structure gives us the opportunity to do a lot of interesting things because we have that connection, that secure connection from the cloud to your local devices, we can integrate with Alexa or IFTTT and we could start collecting data and doing analytics with that. So that's kind of where I'm focusing a lot of my time now. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where it takes takes us. Very fascinating. I, I, uh, I, think, I think that that's a nice glimpse into the future. And I think that that's also a product of you thinking differently and being and knowing that there's going to be some some trends that are showing the industry is changing what do you think what is your prediction i guess for for the next i don't know 5 years and as far as the 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 what what people are going to be experiencing where where the the demands are going to be and and um and you know obviously there's um there, there, there's the pressures that we talked about, um, but but there's also some a lot of shifts in technology that are influencing what is going to be a current a modern AV system. Um, you know, in in your mind, what what do you, what do you think is going to be? What, how is that going to be defined? I think there's a few things to unpack there. There's the business side and there's the technology side. And then there's kind of the middle where those two, two things mix together. And that's never really clear, right? With technology, it's a one or a zero. You know exactly what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to come, right? But how things play out, how a new technology plays out in the market, that's, that's that mixture of, 
of business and technology, and it, it makes it murky. It's it's hard to know what's going to happen. Um, I I think IoT will have a huge influence on AV because we do networks of things. It's a buzzword. Uh, when I first started hearing hearing it for the longest time, I just dismissed it. Right as a buzzword, um, we've been doing networks of things forever. It doesn't mean anything to me. But what I think we can learn from it is the practices, right? How it's being implemented. So if you look at something like a Nest, that's an IoT product. And what are they doing with it? Well, they're managing a fleet of their devices, right? Do, we don't do anything like that in EV, right? So look at the management platforms that, that are available to your typical AV integrator. How often are they really used? How effectively are they really used? What are they actually being used for? How often does it get spec'd and never installed? How often does the programmer just stand there and say, all right, you ordered this thing, what would you like it to do? All right, so that plays into you know, the whole software practices. You know, How does the software development community at large, how do they do their projects? And what can we learn from them? And it's going to be hard. It's going to be really difficult because that again affects the business model. You need to front load a lot of work. You need to spend a lot of time defining what your goals are, who your users are, how you're going to compartmentalize the different technologies so that multiple people could work on the same project at the same time and then plug it all in together and it all just works. That's a different workflow than your typical AV project has. And I think it's a real challenge for us, but I think there's, a, there's obviously a lot of opportunity there. Um, but I wonder, you know, this conversation always ends for me is, will just Google do it for us, <laughs> right? I, I, I feel like it's an exaggeration when I say that, but it also could be a real thing that, you know, Amazon, Google, whoever just comes out with a protocol that everyone adopts. And that's, you know, an IoT could be the driver that convinces display manufacturers to adopt one protocol, right? Because we all know there's nothing special about your power on command. We also know that they're not interested in a standard because CEC was their opportunity to do it and they, they just ignored it. But maybe IoT is that thing that executives talk about enough to create uh, enough motion with decision makers from manufacturers to, agree, to actually agree on a standard. You know, something like that could happen. And if that does happen, you know, then we'll have a real challenge of finding out where we r remain relevant because, you know, that, then that's an opportunity for Amazon to just make an app that does everything. Just real quickly, your take on what IoT means and, you know, just want, just so that we can make sure that we're, we're clarifying for everybody. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it could mean whatever you want it to mean. I mean, it, it, internet of things. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a device that has a connection to the internet, right? So we've been doing networks of things, even if it's uh, serial and relays and IR, we've been making little networks of things for a long time, integrating devices. So the IoT introduces the internet. And, but what that does is it's how you apply that is what IoT means to me. It's not just that you have this network of things that have the capability of talking to each other, it's the practices and application of using that type of a system. So what do you do? You, you, well, you could do integrations. So if you look at any kind of a, a web app, integrations are a huge part of many of their business models. What does your software integrate with? Does it integrate with Salesforce? Does it integrate with this or that? 
So the IoT makes it possible to do those things, right? And collecting data, business analytics, business insights. It's, it's obviously a huge thing. And you know, I really think everybody should be collecting data on their systems starting today, even if you don't know what the heck you're going to do with it or what kind of format it should be in because either you have it or you don't, right? And it's not hard to do. I've done a bunch of tutorials online that show you just how easy it is to just you know, record how often a source was selected. And then you'll know in a year or two if anybody ever really selected the Apple TV. Right. Sure. And these are really simple things that we could start doing today. And it could be a value add that keeps us relevant. And I just don't understand what the resistance is or, you know, if it's really just a lack of knowledge or a fear of security. But IoT brings all of these questions along with it. You know, it's, it's also an opportunity to learn. And just along those lines, because I think IoT is going to make these systems more intelligent, and they're going to make them more uh, yes, more more AI right. And then that's where I was going. Skynet. They're, they're they're going to make this. They're going to make them more personalized and more and and more predictable, right? Um, so, or being able to leverage predictability. So, where do you think? Uh, what role do you think AI and artificial intelligence is going to have and uh, what we do? I have phases where. I think about it a lot and then I just force myself to stop thinking about it because you can really come up with these crazy ideas and, you know, and I, I've talked to people about it years ago, like, look, this is coming, this is possible. And that the idea hasn't changed of what AI could do. And, you know, they say to me, well, what, it'll turn your TV on for you because it knows you're be home at five o'clock. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe that is the thing, right? You know, when, if you have an iPhone, it'll tell you how long it'll take to get to work. That's a form of AI. And these kind of technologies are sneaky, right? It's nobody labels it like, well, some people do, but that, that feature on the iPhone doesn't get labeled. This is artificial intelligence telling you, I know where you live. I know where you work. And I'm taking all that data and figuring out with the traffic uh, on the fly, how long I'm telling you how long it's going to take you to get to work, right? That's an AI application, but it, it's, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like Skynet at all. It, it, it's like you said, it improves your life. It's just this little thing that makes it easier to do something. So how does that affect AV? In many different ways. Like I had David Bianchardi on the show, I think it was a week or two ago, and he's talking about software that just analyze everything, analyzing everything that's happening in a space. What kind of, you know, if somebody's facing a display, he's got skeletal recognition software so he could tell how you're moving um, using iTunes, iTunes beacons to see how, you know, what kind of phones people have. So for just say digital signage, right? You're showing ads and you could use these beacons to determine the ratio of iPhone to Android users, right? And then you could show a different set of ads because the iPhone people may be more affluent than people with Androids and you're going to want to show them a different kind of marketing. So I think something like that is a great application for, for digital signage. And, you know, it's another one of those rabbit holes where there's just so many ideas that, uh, that you could do with it. But I think when you call it AI, that it just, it's just programming, right? In the end, there's some logic happening somewhere. And if you're feeding that into something that can really crunch a lot of data and spit out some kind of an output, these are things you could start playing with today. Look into TensorFlow from Google and just watch a few videos on it and you'll get the creative ideas going and then go to your customers and ask them, 
if it has value for them. <laughs> really, that's what it comes down to. It's not going to be an overnight thing where, you know, everything's automated and perfect and, and, and personalized. It's, it's going to be a process of incremental changes that we can introduce to our systems. And you may not even realize it. Like augmented reality. It sounds crazy, right? But if you have one of these cars with a video display and a rear camera where they overlay arrows or a map on top of it, that's augmented reality, right? It doesn't look like it. There's no label on there, but it's an application of augmented reality. So I think these things are more um, useful than they sound. So you mentioned a few times past guests. And I know that part of the podcast was to be able to to learn and, and gain, as we mentioned. So what would have been a couple of your favorite moments? Oh, I did a highlight email a few weeks ago. It's tough to choose. It really is because I, I do get something out of every episode. Um, I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Right? <laughs> because uh, we're in the same business. And it's it's just really cool to ask somebody, you know, I have this problem with my business. What would you do in my situation? How do you handle this? And, you know, like we kind of deal with the same kind of customers and, and getting that kind of feedback was, you know, useful. Um, I would do this even if we weren't recording it. Uh, what else? I think, uh, yeah, Dave Silberstein comes to mind with the whole IoT thing. I think he has some great ideas on, on IoT and its role it could play on AV. A lot of the things that I was just talking about you know, came from him. It's it's kind of strange because I don't even know what ideas are my own anymore or what I'm stealing from other people and mixing together. Um, I liked Ryan's idea about, you know, commodity hardware becoming a platform and what you could do with that. This whole idea of storytelling. Uh, the guys from Control Envy told me that it's really important to uh, define user stories for all your different users at the beginning of your project. And this whole idea of stories has become a theme um, you know, that AV systems are really just tools for storytelling. That's come up quite a bit. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview with Mark Day uh, because he's doing some very interesting things, applying modern software tools to not, not completely change this, right? His systems are the same, but the way his customers view the systems, their experience with them are totally altered. It's, it's, it comes back to, you know, how do you stay relevant? How do you provide more value? He's executing on it at a level that, um, that I think that is really encouraging to me and, and really enjoyable to hear about. So I enjoyed that show. Um, I don't know. Open up the website. We'll <laughs> go through the whole thing because I really do enjoy every episode. Which is why you keep doing it. Exactly. Right? <clears throat> so is there anything else that you wanted to share that, that we may not have touched on? No, I just think my message is really just keep learning. Just don't stop learning. You know what really uh, this is all about is, like I said in the beginning when I started in AV, you know, Crestron and AMX just sold touch panels and controllers, right? And Extron sold switchers and AutoPatch and, and Clear One. And, you know, everybody had their thing that they specialized in. So as an AV integrator or even a programmer, you brought a lot to the table, piecing all these systems together, defining what... Uh, the customer needed, right? Listening to their needs and really putting together a system with your talents and, and creativity. And I w worry if a little bit of that gets lost in this move to one manufacturer delivering everything. And I think there's, there's kind of a danger in just accepting 
what comes out at Infocom as the solution of the year. And I would really just encourage anyone to uh, think a little more critically about, you know, the technology, of course, the applications, the things that are available to us, keep learning, but also about, you know, your business and your career and how you want to be spending your time and uh, find out if there's, if there's a fit there in the market for, you know, what you love to do and, and what you can do well. So I, I appreciate your time and sharing this. And, you know, a couple of things that I got out of this conversation was that it's not just about technology, it's about business and technology, which was, which, which made a light bulb go off for me and both, uh, you know, your business as well as your client's business. And I think that that's a real, real big takeaway for me. So I hope that uh, I could share that with the audience and others will find uh, the same type of value in that, that message. Um, and, I'm sure everybody knows how to get in touch with you, but why don't we let let them know and and uh, how, how can how can um, the audience get to uh, get some more of your wisdom and and uh, get in touch with you and 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 sample some of the things you've been doing. Yeah, it's it, it's getting a little ridiculous. My email signature is all these websites. So there's learnavprogramming.com where there's lots of online courses. You could sign up there and. Uh, and you'll get some emails with me, and I'm on YouTube too. Uh, LinkedIn, of course, I'm very active there, and uh, I appreciate everybody that connects with me because it, it lets me share my ideas, and and uh, that interaction is really important to me. So, yeah, I, I guess messaging me on LinkedIn, Patrick Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, um, or LearnAVProgramming.com, SoftwareDefinedSurvival.com. Look around, you'll find me. Very nice. Well, thanks for being on your show. And thanks for hosting it. You're welcome. Anytime. If you or anyone on your staff ever considered themselves just an AV programmer, join the club. That's how I used to feel. I was just an AMX programmer or just a Crestron programmer. Whatever language of your choice is, whatever it may be, there's generally this feeling in AV that we're not capable of using modern programming languages. And it simply isn't true. Sure, there's a learning curve, but once you get through it, all other languages become easier to learn and it just expands the amount of options you have when designing a system. It's not an either or decision. You don't say, I won't be using these manufacturer tools anymore. It's just, you have a broader palette to choose from. And here's what Mark Day, founder of Ideabox, had to say about his experience with the online courses at learnavprogramming.com. You know, Patrick, it's funny how the smallest things can sometimes be the start of really big ideas. Uh, before I took the LearnAVProgramming.com courses, I was in that proprietary, I'm only a control system programmer kind of mindset, right? Uh, when it came to new technologies or current technologies like JavaScript or or things like that. For some reason, I thought that was different from what I'm doing. And what taking your courses flipped for me was not so much what I learned technically taking the courses. It was the mindset of, oh, wait a second, I'm already doing 99% of what some of these most modern programmers are doing. I just have to learn uh, you know, the other 1%. And that's really what I did. So it's really been kind of a big change after taking the course. Um, and I would really recommend this course to any integrator. 
Not only will it obviously help their skill set, but more importantly, it might change their whole mindset, uh, which is more important and, and, and really show them new opportunities, open the door so they kind of see problems through a different lens. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the, the biggest changes for me was as soon as I taught myself HTML, CSS, JavaScript and saw the UIs that I can make with those technologies, I, I just couldn't sell a uh, Crestron touch panel again. Mark is a great example of somebody who takes new information and really applies it. I know that Mark still sells a lot of Crestron equipment, but for him, for his company, for his customers, for his business, he needed a better UI. He needed another option for a user interface, and modern programming allowed him to do that. So the question is, how can you use modern programming to improve your business? Please go to learnavprogramming.com and wherever you see a sign up button, go ahead and sign up and you'll get some free information to get a feel of my learning style and what kind of information is available. And of course, it would be an honor to have you enroll in one of our courses and help you upgrade your skills and take this industry to the next level. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, Go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks.